0: You. making reveal. view making my view 6 6, six five, 5 4 3 2 1 welcome to another action packed edition of ranking review And we have Mr. Matthew Risling, returning guest, coming to us from Taiwan. So if this episode sounds like it was recorded over Skype, that's because it was recorded over Skype. But any excuse to get Matt back on the show is good news for this particular host in Random Canadian. My name is Larry Parsons, I am the host of this podcast, and I would like to warn you that we are going to be using coarse language, and we're going to be discussing spoilers for the six films that are being ranked and reviewed, so... Fair warning. If you have feedback to give me, you can send me that feedback to rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R A N K N R E V I E W at gmail.com. The podcast page is rankinreview.ca. So if you want to check that out on the interwebs, you should definitely check out rankinreview.ca because I'm up in Canada. And after you're done enjoying this action-packed edition of Rankin Review on the subject of urban horror, if you still feel the need for some more horror in your ears, you should check out the Terror Table podcast. They're another local podcast to me, and they're friends of mine, and they give good show. So put them in your ears, kids. And now, off we go to look at some urban horror. Mr. Matthew Risling is currently talking to me from, where the hell are you, Hong Kong? (laughs) (laughs)
1: I'm in uh, Taiwan right now.
0: You're in Taiwan. Good, because Hong Kong's not a great place to be, apparently. Uh,
1: No, this weekend, which this will be long forgotten by the time this episode airs, but yeah, there's there's a little hullabaloo.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But I think, I mean, other than Chris from Australia, this is like the most long distance podcast I've ever done, so congratulations and thanks for doing it.
1: Yeah, congratulations on being
0: number two. <laughs> hey, it's uh, I, I'm impressed by it, and I, I I like that even though you're on the other side of the world, it's not going to stop you from doing some rank and review. I don't usually go this inside baseball for the uh, introduction, but Matt and I basically watched all six of these movies in the last 48 hours to get ready for this because <laughs> yeah, there's my something wrong with
1: <laughs> vacation. As there is like. Forty eight hours of non-stop rain, so it wasn't wasn't that much of an imposition to watch these back to back movies.
0: I think maybe I'm lying to you that uh there were fewer sour apples in this group than you're used to too, maybe? Maybe.
1: Well, coming off the last list, because the last list that I did was about this time last year, and there were really no standout movies <laughs> in that, although there were some quite a few standout bad ones.
0: There were memorable yeah. movies. There was what? Memorable movies. <laughs> uh, like Jaws yeah, yeah, we remember that movie.
1: Now this, one, this one's got a, a nicer variety. There's some, uh, <clears throat> some that are comfortably deserving of a place at the top, not just kind of defaulting to it.
0: Right, yeah. And I think that whether they're successful or not, they're most of them are trying something. Three of them that I think are very familiar premises being handled by um, capable directors, and there's three of them that are not very familiar <laughs> premises being handled by capable directors, but... I didn't see a lot of, like, wall-to-wall incompetence in the filmmaking. Maybe in the screenplay writing, but not in the filmmaking, (laughs) this group.
1: Yeah, even the two that I've got comfortably slotted in fifth and sixth place. um, Like, the lighting is
0: good. The directing is good. Uh, There's problems with every other element of it. But, yeah, all (laughs) of these are visually good. Impressively made. Um, I'm calling this episode Urban Horrors in that so many horror movies have to do with, you know... Uh, a cabin in the woods somewhere, or some weird remote destination, or there you know some people in the middle of their vacation that get stopped on the wrong roadside hotel uh I like the idea of finding horrors in the city because that's where I live, <laughs> and uh that I think anyone who lives in the city knows there's no shortage of scariness within it, but um a lot of these are gonna ride the line. I don't think you could honestly call all of them horror movies, but I think you'll understand what I'm going for at least.
1: Yeah, a lot of them I thought were kind of more like thrillers in that
0: 1990s vein of like single white female or yeah. kind of rocks and rocks the cradle kind of thing. Get out of my head, Matthew. <laughs> uh, so is there anything you wanted to say about these six movies before we buckle in and uh, and start reviewing them? Or is there anything you'd like to say to ranking reviewers now that you are supplanted yourself to the other side of the world? I'm sure you're building an army of fans there for me, right? Oh yeah, I think
1: you've probably got the number one podcast in shanghai right now it's hard to say because i don't
0: speak or read uh, mandarin but right. uh uh <clears throat> i've been yelling yelling about
1: it on the street so surely that's uh that's whipped up
0: some interest well no this is exactly the kind of culture that could really sink their teeth into a canadian nerd podcast half <laughs> <So. laughs> the of these movies would be banned there <laughs> Well, uh, I guess we're getting away with something. I'm going to list off the movies we're going to do unless there's something else you wanted to say then.
1: Nope. let's uh, go ahead.
0: All right. We have Don't Breathe from Fede Alvarez, the man who was responsible for the remake of Evil Dead. We have Death Sentence from James Wan, who brought us The Saw and The Conjuring franchise. The Resident is a uh, a weirdly American-made hammer horror movie. The following is the first feature film by Christopher Nolan. Match to the Stars is one of the most recent feature films from David Cronenberg. And finally, we'll finish it off with Killing Them Softly from Andrew Dominic, the guy who directed a movie I loved a lot called Chopper. And uh, it has to do with uh, a hitman and the business that he is in. Those are the six urban horrors we're going to discuss. Is there anything else you want to say before we do it?
1: No, I think we should just jump on in. Let's do it. The lips look sore. That's how you're making your cash out there? (laughs) What do you say you and I move away from mom together? It's a promise. You're leaving? Yeah, as soon as I have the money.
0: When are you coming back? Never. Yo, I got our ticket
1: out of here. Rumor is this guy is sitting on at least 300k. (laughs) Boom! That's her guy.
0: Wait, is he blind?
1: We messed up to rob a blind guy, isn't it? Just because he's blind don't mean he's insane bro
0: So don't breathe from Fede Alvarez is a home invasion thriller. Yeah, it's set in Detroit, but uh, it was shot overseas, interestingly enough. I think they got some of the exterior shots in Detroit, but the entire house was, was shot entirely separately. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a true story. Um, I mean, they do use... Lo- the location in the film is Detroit, and you believe it, and it's understandable. I mean, if ever there was a city that you could... You know, exploit for the this type of storytelling. It's Detroit right now. It's just actively dying and rotting in front of everyone's eyes, right? Yeah,
1: and it's there's been a lot of good movies coming out of it. Uh, a lot of good horror movies coming out in the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it makes sense. I've, social decay, all of this, you know, ruin what people like to call late stage capitalism. These entire areas and neighborhoods that are full of empty houses and uh, you know. The wildlife is moving in, the grass is knee-high, and uh, no one's living there. It's got this weird haunted quality. So we have these three criminals who realize that there is a blind man who's living in this neighborhood more or less by himself. And they have good information that this gentleman is sitting on a large amount of cash. It's interesting. So none of these characters are super heroic. It's kind of hard to get on side of them. Like, let's, let's do a home invasion of a blind man. And it's really interesting how through the turns of the movie, which is an incredibly tense, by the way, we go from not liking these guys to, at the very least, thinking, you know what, you deserve to at least survive this. Get out of this situation. I know that in the past I have been guilty of, you know, people say I don't like movies with unlikable characters in them i think that the situation that these people put themselves in is so intense and so dramatic that i'm able to get over the fact that i'm not super like into these characters because i'm just so terrified on their behalf i think that don't breathe is pretty fucking fantastic but that's just one man's opinion
1: yeah i thought it was really good i thought um part of One of the ways uh, that the movie got us on side so much with these not very likable uh, protagonists is that the the handy, capable antagonist of the film, this blind guy that's stalking them around, is just so freaking intense. Um, When I learned it was the guy from Avatar, the bad guy from Avatar, my eyes kind of rolled a little bit just because... (laughs) Fucking
0: Avatar. <laughs> Stephen um, Lang has yeah, played a got lot some of villains. He's got some... Oh yeah, he's an amazing actor, and he has played a lot of villains in his day. But this one st- even manages to stand out, I think. Um, Honestly, I have very few complaints about this movie. I saw it in the theaters with our mutual acquaintance, Lee Beckman, and there was a woman at the back of the theater who screamed out loud, loudly, three times. <laughs> like you could tell that this movie was definitely making an impression on people <laughs> um and usually stuff like that in the theaters will you know can get distracting but to me i was just it was almost a relief like i found the movie so crazily intense now that might have geared down a little bit seeing it like on video in your home as opposed to being completely you know drowned in the style of it in the theater but i i couldn't believe how scary this movie was i was kind of unprepared for it
1: yeah, well, and especially when um, he kills the lights at one point and it goes into either pitch blackness, which was fucking scary, or uh, probably the best night vision or, or competitive for the best night vision I've seen in a movie, right? It wasn't like that. Um, you know, usually when they do
0: like day for night or they light it with bright blue lights and you just don't feel like it's dark. Yeah. In this one, you just feel like
1: they they've got no idea what's going on in this labyrinth. Labyrinthine base
0: of it. Yeah. Well, the actors had to wear these contacts in to make their eyes look like they're um, not adjusted to the light, so they could right. see a little bit. It was a design. The actors could see, but between the low light they were working in and the contacts they were wearing, th- all of them felt like they were blind. Apparently, but it is an amazing bravura sequence, <laughs> and uh, it's a series of reveals too. We slowly learn more about this blind man. And then once we get into his basement, once we get into spoiler territories, we find out he is not just this innocent dude who's being wronged, right? He's got a woman.
1: Yeah, a, <laughs> Say that again? I said he's got a full rape dungeon.
0: Correct. Correct the reason that he's sitting on this money is that he had the settlement from an accident where his daughter was killed by a drunk driver he has now kidnapped said drunk driver impregnated her and has kept her in his basement so that she may sire him a new daughter or a new child or whatever and that was all going on unbeknownst to anybody including the audience until we bumped into her and that was really well handled i mean it's a big, you know, it's a big Biden premise, whether or not you can believe that or not. But I mean, in the context of the movie, you have no choice but to accept it. And it made me jump.
1: Yeah, I thought it was good. And I was also actually um, quite surprised at how quickly they wrote that woman out. Yeah. Because I thought going in, I thought, okay, this is a movie with uh, three protagonists and then pretty quickly two protagonists. Like, what are you going to do for, you know, an hour and 15 minutes in the house with just two people? So then when they introduced a third, I thought, okay, you know, we've got more horror movie dynamics and like, nope, she's she's not there much I mean, she's got like five minutes of screen time or something.
0: She escalates the Stephen Land's character though, because once he inadvertently kills her, he's also inadvertently lost his child again. So it's gone it's gone from these people meddling with his plans to like now he desperately wants them dead and you know it's very personal and if he can get a hold of the the female in the group maybe he can do something about it jane levy is the name of the main actress in the movie she was also the main character in the evil dead remake um okay. I, I like this combination of director and actress so far so good huh. i have yeah this movie
1: kind of curious about the evil dead remake oh I've check been, it out i've been staying away from it because like i hear it's good but it is but very gory um <laughs> But I just—it just it just hasn't grabbed me. But on the strength of this, I might, I might actually give it a look.
0: Just imagine, don't imagine it as a remake of Evil Dead. Just imagine it's someone saying, what if Sam Raimi made Evil Dead today with all of the budget and all of the toys he didn't have in the 80s? Mm. That's their approach. And I think it's awesome. But <laughs> we're not talking about Evil Dead, unfortunately. I have two little complaints. Well, maybe one bigger than the other about Don't Breathe. Fede Alvarez starts the movie with this huge, huge shot coming down on the neighborhood where we see Jane Levy's character being dragged up the road. So we know that we're going to get to that point at some point later on in the movie and i do think like because i was kind of waiting for us to play catch up to that point a lot of revelations were not revelations to me <laughs> like we knew it was going to end up down to her and him basically at the end and we knew that right away and we probably as an audience would have intuited it but i didn't like being told it directly so many okay of... counter counter argument uh,
1: yeah because <clears throat> uh, i actually liked that uh, for a couple of reasons one mm. Uh, I might not have been paying too close attention, but I thought the first shot was him dragging a woman whom we couldn't tell who it was, okay. so I thought it might have been the woman from the dungeon the first time, Right. but also the fact that our protagonist finds herself chained up in the rape dungeon at the end, which was almost eye-rolling, because just as soon as you see Chekhov's rape dungeon, you know she's going in there, <laughs> so at least that made it seem like the movie wasn't trying to be too clever about
0: it. I guess, and if we were doing Jerry's, we could give a Jerry Award for best use of a turkey baster. <laughs> oh my god, that was fucking disgusting! <laughs> my are <notes> just—it's <laughs> you, 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 you. almost worse than a rape scene, really. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's just like you know. Uh, the other thing that really bothered me, and I let it go because the movie is just too good to you know not recommend. The character who was a locksmith who was at the door and was about to leave the house and decided that he had to go back down to save Jane Levy. He's doing everything right, but there's no fucking way he wouldn't unlock that door before he went downstairs. The second he didn't unlock that door, I was like, they're going to get hung up on that door and it's going to cost them. And he was there. And he was a locksmith. And like, even if you want to go down and even if you know time is of the essence, you would want your path out of there to be as uninterrupted and as few obstacles as possible. And the fact that he chose to leave that door locked, I just was one of the, the only times that I my, made me facepalm on behalf of a character. It probably means I was really into the movie because I was furious with his decision, but it really <laughs> bothered me that he didn't unlock the door before he ventured back into the house.
1: So I get that. Um, again, it was a very obvious horror movie thing. I could be a little bit generous and say, you know, he was just so panicked that, you know, panicked mm-hmm. people just focus too much on one thing and blah, 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 let it go. Um, the thing,
0: my, my complaint was the ending where it was basically like the end question mark
1: mm-hmm. when we find out that the guy isn't really dead. Like, you know, he'd taken enough hammers to the head. He'd enough bad shit had happened just let him die yeah uh i really liked that we got something approaching a happy ending and i didn't think it needed that little epilogue
0: well here's the only bad news then that i have for you about don't breathe what's that get ready for a sequel
1: Yeah. So that's what I was really worried about is that they were setting this up to be like a franchise thing. And so as much as I really like that bad guy, I don't think it's a franchise villain. Like how many people are going to break
0: into that one Detroit house? I don't know what they're going to do with it, too. Is he going to try and somehow hunt her down out of revenge or something? I don't know. But I don't want this sequel. The The only reason it's being made into a sequel is it had a budget of, like, 10 or $12 million, and it made $150 million, right? So it's not a decision made out of love. Um, I, I don't know if... I, I,
1: I assume it will become like a self-parody like Saw, because that's exactly the same thing that happened with the Saw franchise. You get the one that hits a little bit above its weight, and then uh, just the most laughable sequels. (laughs) Yeah,
0: and uh, I think the first one has such craft to it and such genuine tension to it that just leave it be. All you can do by making more of these is dilute them, but... As far as anybody who loves horror movies, this is an 88-minute nail-biter of a horror movie. Like, uh, Even with the, the little quibbles and character stuff that I was complaining about, I was completely energized by this movie when I first saw it. Like, I walked out of the theater and I was like, that was a fucking awesome horror movie. And I don't get that experience yeah, as much the as I'd like.
1: Runtime was perfect. It absolutely didn't overstay its welcome. Uh, we got into the house not too quickly, like, you know, it built up some tension, it was engaging the whole time, there was that really cool chase scene with the dog at the end that was as tense as anything else in the movie, and then it got out pretty quickly.
0: And I believed The uh, the Blind Man. Like, there's been a lot of these sensory horror movies coming out lately, A Quiet Place and Bird Box and all of these, like, <laughs> it's almost like become a fad. This And if that's the fad, this was definitely the one that sort of started it. But I at no point did I not believe that Stephen Lang was, was blind or that he should hear them when he didn't. There's a kind of scene that could have been considered comical, the way he sniffs the air when he smells their shoes. He kind of does it in a really sort of exaggerated way, but like, he needs to figure out how many people are in his house, and that was a pretty clever way of doing it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, his blindness wasn't a superpower, which was also refreshing, because I was a little worried that it would be... Um... Like this gem from the 80s called Silent Day, Deadly Night Part 3 or Part 4, I can't remember what, but like, you know, the, or, or Game of Thrones where Arya's got these magical I'm blind now powers, but it was, it was just the right amount. Um, obviously, he knew how to get around uh, in his own house, but, you know, he was still gripping the banister, he still didn't have like uh, magical powers.
0: There's a jump scene which doesn't have any music or anything to punctuate it. One of the characters is slowly tiptoeing down the hallway, trying not to let any of the floorboards creak. And then Stephen Lang's character just appears and whips down the hallway and blows right past him. And that was one of the scenes that made that woman in the theater (laughs) scream out loud. (laughs) And I didn't scream out loud, but I was right there with her. Uh, Are we good enough on Don't Breathe?
1: Yeah, I think we can just... Only so much wank in this movie that we can do.
0: (sighs) I liked it a lot. Watch this movie. Yeah. If you
1: like horror movies, you'll like this one. Okay, guys. Brandon Hume, you've just hey. won MVP. God. Number one,
0: number one, number one. Nick. Hey, honey. I just wanted to let you know that our son is going to Canada to play hockey. I love you, and we'll be home soon. Hey, where do you think you're going? I need something to drink, Dad. Okay, we'll quick in and out because we got to get home. All right. You can do this. Number five.
1: Put that animal in jail.
0: I want this guy to go away for the rest of his life. I've got one eyewitness you. We've just got your word. I'm dismissing this case. Mr. Darley. you are released from custody. You kidding
1: me? Your brother, dude, he's dead.
0: I say who lives, I say who dies. <laughs> I'm coming for the rest of your family. You just bought them a death sentence. I really don't care what
1: happens to me. I just need them to be safe. How do I make it stop? You started a war.
0: God help you. Okay, so Death Sentence is a revenge thriller directed by James Wan. It's actually based off of the novel, which was a sequel to the novel of Death Wish strangely enough i don't know if it was involving the same character but it's definitely in that same universe and possessed of that same mentality that there's no problem that can't be solved with violence
1: yeah it felt exactly like death wish to me like i two things one uh it felt exactly like death wish and two i was really surprised to learn it didn't come out before taken because it seemed also kind of like a taken knockoff
0: right um We've talked in the past about James Wan. He directed the first Saw movie and the Conjuring movies and the first two Insidious movies. And uh, I've complimented him on his ability to take very familiar, very almost stale premises and bring them to life. I don't think I can make the argument here that he does that successfully, but fuck does he try. He tries really hard though. There is, I will say, a couple of sequences that are like amazingly well executed. There's a foot chase to a parking garage that has a, a huge, long, complex like tracking shot that follows both the good guy and the bad guys and uh, is by itself kind of a dazzling little centerpiece. And
1: actually, uh, I think legitimately suspenseful. Maybe the only legitimately suspenseful um, set piece in this movie.
0: Right, and uh, I think it does do a decent job of making us want. You know, make, let's us be sympathetic to the Kevin Bacon character. We can't get behind all of the decisions he's made, but we can feel bad for him. <laughs> but does the movie work in the end of the day? Uh, I don't think it does. I think you know it's got all the ingredients he's got all the style he's got really good actors trying to sell us really bad characters john goodman tries real hard to sell us this street tough dude who's just not credible he's not credible on the page and if john goodman can't make him credible i don't know who they could have cast that would
1: (laughs) yeah i john goodman's scenes were gripping but it was also in some ways worse well not worse i mean it was definitely worse than his um Like when he's in a Coen Brothers movie and he's some completely unbelievable weirdo, like in Barton Fink, and you're like, this guy's not exactly a human, but this movie doesn't exactly call for humans, so he's great at it. But this, yeah, he's supposed to be... I, I don't know if he's supposed to emanate menace or control or what, but I just really didn't see what he was doing in this film.
0: I think the problem's all on the page. I think it was the screenplay, to be honest, like... There was a time where this kind of revenge picture was really popular. I guess to do service to the plot really quickly, Kevin Bacon and his number one (laughs) favoritist son stop by the wrong gas station, and his son is brutally murdered by a bunch of thugs. And one of the thugs, uh, Kevin Bacon, is able to identify, and through a series of pretty convoluted (laughs) plot points, Kevin Bacon ends up taking the life of this kid, and his he's got some gangster buddies and his brother who's really bad news who are just going to make a point of just fucking kevin bacon's life and they sure do and they sure do but i wish i i liked the movie more i wish i could care more it's so simplistic you know the good guy is a good guy and he loves his kid and his kid is amazing and the bad guy is awful and his dad is awful and his dad hates him and like (laughs) it's so black and white and so simplistic that it's hard to take seriously after a point.
1: Yeah, and it's not just that. Like, I mean, in the beginning, it goes on for way too long, slathering on just how much this family loves each other, like just so much treacle, it won't stop. Um, it started with what I thought was a pretty confident... You know, like found footage, you know, family, uh, family films kind of thing, and that was enough. We get it. The yep. family loves each other. You don't, you know, a family loves each other. You don't need to sell that very hard, but it just <laughs> won't let up. Um, but then, like other things, like the dialogue in the hospital when the son is being revived, it's something straight out of a 1980s movie. Um, the police detective.
0: Aisha is, Taylor. Is, is, dude,
1: dumb idiot who, who knows basically knows that he's killing people but wants to stop him but she doesn't doesn't do any detecting doesn't do any legal stuff she just warns him not to
0: she's a witness kill these guys yeah <laughs> she's a witness i like that actress aisha taylor she has a podcast which is pretty amusing and uh you know but give her something to do give her something to do uh i think kevin bacon and he's got a rich history of doing this gives a performance that's way better than the movie that he's in you know yeah (laughs) like i really think he brings it and uh that trans transformation that he goes through from like a fairly warm nice neighborly guy to this like shorn bloodied warrior i mean it's not the newest thing in the world but it's well tracked especially in the performance i just wish the rest of the movie sort of matched him
1: I'm going to disagree with that a little bit, like I thought all of his scenes were fine, but his transformation, it reminded me a lot of the third Star Wars prequel, where from the beginning, we know that we're going to turn this guy into a monster, and just like any kind of plot machinations to get his head shaved and to get that shotgun in his hand, and so like, it just, it's its like, he couldn't, um, the screenwriter, I guess is probably not James Wan, whoever wrote this. Um, couldn't find a human enough reason to turn him into this um, and so just contrived to do it and like at that point why not just go full death wish and and just make him become a killer without like don't bother to explain it if you can't do it then just say that's this guy
0: and it's, the, it's just clumsily executed I, I do think that there are scenes that like if they dialed it back a bit I would have appreciated more there's an absolutely excruciatingly awful scene between Kelly Preston and Kevin Bacon shortly before Kelly Preston's character is removed from the movie where she's like I don't agree with what you did, but I love you, and I understand why you did it. And it's just like, yeah, that's about as on the nose as you could have done it. When he has the final confrontation with the big bad at the end of the movie, Garrett Hedlund's character says, we've turned you into one of us. Yeah, yeah, Uh, respect your audience to put that two and two together. Like... (laughs) fuck off like seriously (laughs)
1: they both have shaved heads they're sitting on the same bench like i know it's subtle mr juan but we got it
0: they're sitting in fucking church pews they're sitting in fucking church pews uh i i I wouldn't give up on james juan at all i mean he's well (laughs) he's he's about the top of the hollywood pyramid right now so he's doing just fine but no I think he did this ventriloquist ghost puppety movie called Dead Silence with Donnie Wahlberg and it's significantly better than this man. It's it knows what it is, right? But it knows what it is is what I'm saying. It knows it's kind of a goofy jump scare carnival ride of a movie and it just is that. I think this movie thinks it's amazing and that's what really rubs me the wrong way. Um, It's well shot. I got to give it well shot. Oh yeah. Bravura action sequences and like there are there is some tension to the movie. The isolated moments when they come, you know, are are strong. But I don't like the mentality of the movie. It sort of it trips my bully switch a little bit. And like I'd said earlier, the. This mentality where the only answer is going to be violence. There's just n- no, no way to get any kind of retribution, you know. you got to take matters into your own hands, and you're right to do so. It's very well, America, you know.
1: <laughs> that's why I thought it came after Taken, because it seemed to be on the vanguard of this whole wave of films about that seem to be insisting that elderly baby boomers are still vital and, you know, they still have a place in society because they can kill young people. Yeah,
0: I mean, the only way this movie could have been more, like, I think the only way it could be really worse is if they'd had Mel Gibson play the main part, right? <laughs> because- <laughs> This is what Mel Gibson has done since Mad Max, right? This that is just... seems like a Mel Gibson movie. It's like, was he just unavailable? Did he not get along with James Wan? <laughs> this is probably one of his
1: temporary exiles from Hollywood. He says something anti-Semitic. Yeah, exactly. He's quiet for a couple
0: of months. You gotta go into timeout, Mel. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I haven't done a lot. I feel like I've been doing a short strip on, on the review, but... If I go on, I think I'll just be saying the same things over and over again. The cast is, for the most part, there for him. I, like I say, I, I'm, I always liked John Goodman, and I didn't like John Goodman in this movie. So that's, that's a strike against it. It's technically well made. It's well acted. It's just dead in the water. It's just the, the screenplay is, is empty. And no matter how much Kevin Bacon tries and no matter how much style James Wan throws on it, I don't think they're able to disguise that. Not this time.
1: No, uh, it's just dull. Like, with all of the good chase scenes and action movies, because we can't engage with the characters emotionally, it's just, it's it's flat. It's not bad, but I, I would have a hard time recommending it to anyone. I, even my dad would probably like it. Yeah.
0: I mean, if you're looking for something to watch while you eat your chicken noodle soup or something like that, or you're you very passively in the background, yes, there are way worse movies. But I don't you know, it's one of these things with all of these ingredients here, it kind of feels like it should have added up to more.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Hello? Someone called about a rental here? You're looking at it. Wait, what's the catch?
0: In every city. The place is huge. Anything available for me? Thousands of women live by themselves. Oh, excuse me. Max! Hey. <gasps> I'm just putting myself in your shoes. Alone. A new apartment? Surrounded by strangers. Juliet <laughs> is not alone. There's something creepy about my apartment. A guy gives you a gorgeous apartment. And that's creepy? The record feature is triggered by movement. So any activity in the apartment won't be recorded. These babies will catch anything that moves. I followed you one night. Uh we have reviewed hammer horror movies in the past, actually, Matthew. We've reviewed two of them. The woman yeah. in the woman in black movies and then that uh, the quiet ones were all out of the Hammer Horror studios. The
1: quiet ones. Which one was
0: that? Where the students were studying the uh that woman who they thought was possessed, they took her out in the countryside and uh they were Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh just, The interesting thing about this one is another one of these late stage Hammer movies is that it's shot in New York, which is kind of unprecedented. (laughs) Hammer movies are like British horror. That's kind of what they did. And they brought Christopher Lee, which is here basically for a dressed up cameo. He's really like barely in the movie, but as sort of like a flagship. Hello, Hammer fans. (laughs) And it's. Well, you talked about in the introduction in the 90s where we had all of these psycho movies where there's the psycho secretary and the psycho roommate and the psycho cop and the psycho fill-in-the-blank, right? Yeah. This movie feels like it was pulled like a bad tooth from the 90s and is now being <laughs> force-fed to us in the '90s, you know?
1: Yeah, it's got a script that feels like it's been on the shelf for 25 years or
0: Like, I think that you would like this movie if you'd never seen any kind of thriller like this before, but as I've seen, like, it feels like hundreds of them, and the fact that this has literally nothing, nothing new to offer is, it's kind of shocking, like, again, competently made, competently acted, but, like, I was so bored watching this movie, (laughs) And there's... Yeah,
1: I, I, I'm actually going to disagree. Uh, I I think even if I hadn't seen Hand That Rocks the Cradle or <laughs> all of those, uh, I still don't think I would like this one. No? I think it, it's, it's, it seems like a script that's been sitting around for a while because it hasn't been good enough to shoot. Like, somebody just got around to needing a script and this one, you know, they leaped past in their script catalog for years and years and they're finally like fuck it let's just shoot this but (laughs) it doesn't seem like it's really got a vision or something to say or something interesting
0: no i mean hillary spank wanted to play a tough as nails horror protagonist and she did and Jeffrey Dean Morgan wanted to play an over-the-top psycho stalker, and he did. I I hated the way the movie was trying to play, like, who's the stalker? Do you think yeah. it might be Negan? Do you think it might be Jeffrey Dean Morgan? Yeah, the other guy in
1: the movie?
0: Who else would it be, you guys? Who else?
1: Was, it, like, the very first Rankin review I was on, um, what was that one with um, uh, Harrison Ford and Michelle
0: What Lies Fiber? Beneath? What Lies Beneath? Yeah.
1: Yeah, What Lies Beneath, where there's like two named characters, (laughs) one of them's
0: being stalked. It's not that (laughs) much of mystery. It's like really, really nauseating. And uh, it's just so factory stamped and so familiar. It's like, was this really supposed to be the thing that revitalized the Hammer Horror Studios? The other missed opportunity thing is that I've had this personal thing happened to me a few times in my life now where I've been in an empty house even my own house or someone else's and I've just randomly for almost no reason that I could factor in got creeped out Mm -hmm. I got this sense like I wasn't alone even though I clearly was this little sort of paranoia and this sort of Psychological after-effect a lot of people who's uh, suffered uh, break-ins in their house feel like, like they've been personally violated The themes okay. of that are actually better explored in a movie We're going to talk about later on called following but that idea that idea that you've you're not alone But you must be alone But you still can't convince yourself of it is I think something that could really be used to make an effectively You know turn the screws horror movie and it's just not happening here. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and this is uh, just a coincidence that we've got these uh, in the order that we do, because this is the third of the three movies on the list that have haunted house, kind of creepy house, crawl space chases. Right. Um, of easily the worst executed, but you know, the, there's something to be done with with you know these old apartments that have secret tunnels between the walls and stuff, and you know, one of the people knows it really well, but the other one doesn't, and so he can pop up
0: from place to place. The idea um, of a landlord who's renovated the apartment so that he can spy on his tenants, I think, is quite strong. But yeah. it's just underexplored, and it's it's handled in the most simplistic ways possible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, well, uh, so this movie struck me
1: as... Um, So not just like one of those 90s thrillers, although it was, but it's also like, if for most of the movie, it's exactly like a rom-com, but a rom-com with dark lighting and you just change the music, right? Right. Uh, I mean, Hilary Swank and Jeffrey Dean Morgan were even in a rom-com together. Uh, P.S. I Love You came out a few years before this. Oh, weird. So it seems like they're just (laughs) revising their, their roles and then, you know, just... Like, it's just so over-the-top, their meat cute and their flirtation and stuff, and then they go, and shadows and stuff. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's the only thing I can say about it, is it seems like it could be an adequate parody on a rom-com, although it's obviously not intentional.
0: Uh, This is going to seem like it's out of left field, but have you seen the Han Solo movie?
1: Uh, I, I have not.
0: Okay. Well... I I don't think it's as bad as this movie, but I think it's guilty of this movie in that it's, it's not about it being wall to wall terrible, but it's about it having everything that you expected. right? Right? Like everything that you expect to see in this movie, you will see in this movie. Everything you expect to happen in this movie will happen in this movie. Like, they didn't they didn't break the mold in any real way i think they figured they had you know jeffrey dean morgan and hillary slank and that was going to be enough they were going to be able to sell us this these goods and they don't suck in the movie but the movie sucks
1: yeah i i it depends what you mean by they don't suck because jeffrey dean morgan was really bothering me um because he's all charming and handsome and this movie doesn't call for a guy that's charming and handsome i mean he could just he's jeffrey dean morgan he could just get all sorts of hot women if he wanted because they they show us that he was he had noticed her in a crowd and then became obsessed with her mm. i think the way that women have treated him in his life looking like he does he probably knows that he can just go up and say hi mm. which is what he does you know 20 minutes in and you just don't need all of this malarkey
0: it's a horrible but kind of true thing um uh, being stalked by a hunky dude is less of a crime than being ston- stalked by a you know ugly creepy dude. <laughs> Somehow it's less of a crime, I guess. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not defending the behavior. I'm just saying it's kind of a fact. Uh, if a girl was being stalked by Jeffrey R- Dean Morgan, <laughs> she might just lock up and introduce herself. Right? <laughs> no, you need a Steve Buscemi looking creepy guy, right? Yeah. Who's just like. <laughs> I'm sorry, Steve Buscemi, but you, you, I assume he listens to the podcast. <laughs> or, yeah, or you need
1: the moment that they have a kiss and then she breaks it off. You need him to be the kind of guy who's somebody that has just gone through a bad breakup and is a little bit drunk would start to kiss and then immediately regret it because he looks like a
0: salamander. <laughs> <laughs> but or, or if we, it, you know, he's dreamy. There's nothing we can do about it. If we saw something in him that sort of, you know there was a flaw, there was a danger. All we got was he got the stink eye from the Christopher Lee character in that one scene, right? Yeah,
1: and he called him, he said, you're weak, just like your father. And (laughs) do you think that that's going to lead up to something? Like, maybe there's a family history of stalking tenants in this, Mm -hmm. and maybe in the first draft there was, but because there's no payoff, none of that makes sense. And then he kills Christopher Lee about, what, halfway through the movie, and then you're like, oh, well, this character... What was the reason he was there?
0: <laughs> and it's not like when Christopher Lee goes down as an audience member, we're screaming, No! <laughs> he was the heart of the movie. Exactly. He was the conscience. What about her cheating ex-boyfriend or on-again, off-again boyfriend? How do you think things are going to play out for him? Pretty good, I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right. He
1: shows up one day, and she's... Again, we're supposed to have some sort of uh, emotional, like, catharsis or something or some build up to him finally being there because his cheating on her had kicked this whole thing off but you know they don't have any chemistry and he's kind of bland looking (laughs) like yeah you're gonna be dead in the walls before this movie's over (laughs) um a couple of other things about it um one some i know we're just kicking this poor movie, but it also
0: <laughs> deserves it because this was also the fifth movie I watched that day. So I was really frustrated <laughs> Fatigue is setting in at this point. Yeah. <laughs> but there's this whole
1: hullabaloo about her setting up this motion capture
0: security camera, which could have been a cool sequence. Sorry. There was a little glitch in the matrix there, kids. <laughs> the resident, I think is what we're getting at is about as derivative a piece of cinema as I can remember reviewing on, on the show. Like, all parts of this movie are borrowed from something else or several something else's. Um, again, there is something to the idea of the home invasion thing, and I, you know, I think that there could be a creepy movie, like, when he's watching her in the bathtub or he's laying under the bed while she's sleeping. Like, there's some really creepy ideas, but uh, the execution is <laughs> leaves a lot to be desired for me.
1: Yeah, that's what makes it kind of like the opposite of Don't Breathe, um, which takes... good concept and works it out pretty well i mean it's you know far-fetched but believable enough whereas this is what roger ebert would call an idiot plot where it it only works because people do all the wrong things or because (laughs) hillary swank does all the wrong things um so like at one point when she starts to think things are going wrong uh she gets these motion capture cameras in her bedroom um And then she's oversleeping, and she because she works in a hospital, uh, she's a resident, get it?
0: Yeah, She's a
1: resident in the apartment and in the hospital. Um, She runs a blood check on her own blood, and there's Valium. So she knows something's up.
0: She can check those cameras remotely. They make a point of showing that, but instead she she decides just
1: to go home. And then there's the most unbelievable um, confrontation where Jeffrey Dean Morgan all of a sudden becomes a psycho killer. Again, exactly like in What Lies Beneath. (laughs) The character just takes a 180, and then it becomes this stupid chase. Once the
0: secrets are out, the villain just turns into a cartoon. And yes, we've seen that before too, but again, which is it? Is he like a little bit crazy and wily and able to suppress it, or is he like over the top? crazy right pick a lane pick a lane um my final thought is i
1: think this could be could be potentially amusing if um somebody with better video editing skills than me did the same thing uh you know like those um big bang theory without the laugh trap which you take out the audio and it's just awkward and weird (laughs) if you did that with any of their,
0: particularly in the end, when they're getting confrontational
1: and just cut out the spooky music, it's just super stilted. And, and like, the yelling and stuff, it just seems like two, like, nuts people.
0: And the big finish. I, I don't mind ruining this movie for people. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the big bad gets taken out with a nail gun. And... The movie had been so cheesy and so stupid, I was almost disappointed she didn't throw a zinger on him when she dropped that last nail. Nailed him. <laughs> Something like super lame.
1: Well, except for, it was super. I mean, it didn't have that zinger, mm-hmm. but. What she got him with was a Nail Through the Heart. And the very first scene, it opened up with surgery. And she's like, this heart, this guy's got a hole in his heart. Send him upstairs. Mm. And, like, really? Fucking really? (laughs) Uh, Because, one, you know, Jeffrey Dean Morgan's got a hole in his heart. But then they just have to put the nail there. eh? Poetry. It rhymes.
0: I'm sure there are some people in the world that could confuse that for clever. But I am not one of them. Um
1: So, I don't know if
0: there's anything else to say. Um, yeah, I, I think I've made all of my points about this. The podcast is a double-edged sword. I think I told you this. I bought this movie at a place local to my house. You can get DVDs used, DVDs for like three for eight bucks. And I must have sensed something about this movie because it sat on my shelf for almost three years. I hadn't <laughs> got around to watching it. And then this podcast came up and I was like, yeah... There was a reason I put up watching that bitch. <laughs> Your eyes um, drift across a crowd of people, and they slowly stop and fix on one person, and all of a sudden that person isn't part of the crowd anymore. They become an individual, just like that. It just became irresistible. So you followed women? Yeah, I followed anybody, I just wanted to see where they went, what they did. It was supposed to just be completely random. Never follow the same person twice. That was the most important rule. That was the one that I broke first. That's when the trouble started. I got burgled yesterday. What's it feel like being uh, broken into? You're developing a taste for it. The violating, the voyeurism—it's definitely you. Or two. So Matthew and I are going to discuss, following, the very first film by Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan's a director that a lot of people sort of consider to be one of the greatest directors working right now. I'm of the opinion that he's a really good director. I've liked a lot of his films. I think he makes, you know, solid, solid movies. But I've never sort of tipped over to thinking he was one of our most cherished assets as a filmmaker. He makes big-budget spectacles that I enjoy watching. You know, he's better than Michael Bay, and he's better than a lot of these, you know, big filmmakers. But he started in small places. This movie following is like a 74-minute black-and-white gritty thriller.
1: It looks a lot like the movie Pie, if anybody's ever seen it. A really low production value, black-and-white, but obviously directed by somebody. I didn't know that this was Nolan when I watched it. Yeah. It was obviously directed by somebody who was going places. Yeah. Like it's, it's super competent.
0: Yeah, the pie analogy is a good one. It's not quite as crazy as pie is, but as far as the texture of the movie and the feel of the movie, and that you yeah. can tell that this is a really cheap movie, but you can also tell it's a really cheap movie made being made by a really talented filmmaker. Yeah. Um,
1: with It's got a very small cast, and the cast is all... Uh, all unknowns still i think they're all unknowns right yeah there's nobody that really made it big but they're all they're all quite good
0: and this movie was made for like 10 grand okay yeah. <laughs> like 10 grand that's cheaper than book of trespasses actually after watching this movie i made me made me think maybe we should have done my movie in black and white <laughs> 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 just a layer of complexity out of it it's well,
1: a, it looked really good because it looked—it had like Hitchcockian shadows and the femme fatale looked like a 1940s femme fatale. So um, it was one of those ones where the budget limitation actually, I think, strengthened it.
0: It leans into the noir-ishness, the sort of loose black and white sort of feel of the movie. I, I will definitely agree with that. And the premise, uh, you know, we have this guy who's a writer who's just... Decides to follow people so he can learn about them and see the world or be whatever. And uh, this is a violation. This is creepy behavior. And he's going to have to learn a hard lesson that that's not what you do. Maybe a harder lesson than he deserves. (laughs) Arguably. (laughs) But... I appreciate the simplicity of the premise and the kind of strength of the premise I like that he this guy he's following sort of turns the tables on him and confronts him and instead of them becoming uh, quote enemies at least out the hook he basically thinks "Oh, you think it's kind of cool to follow people try going into their houses try going through their stuff and that's the element of the movie that I found so interesting and that I think made that resident movie feel all the worse because of yeah. their idea of home invasion and their idea of giving the their victims something to think about, why did they do this? Why didn't yeah. they do this? The, the he wanted to leave them sort of haunted, more than than you know, in, than losing their stuff, than than having their door broken in or whatever. They they he wants to leave the victim or he presents it as if he wants to leave the victim kind of stunned and confused, and that's his contribution yeah. to the world. And that's I really like liked that, that, that concept. concept. Finding their
1: box of personal stuff and making sure to overturn it. Like, you know, every house has the box, he says, yeah. with the photographs and whatnot. And just, like, it's not what, well, first for him, it seems like it's not even about the taking things, right? It, you know, drinking some cheap red wine and just making the people know that that their stuff there. has been gone through.
0: Yeah, someone was in their home. <laughs> um,
1: the, the, it's one of those plots that works really well the first time through don't think about it too much um because it is a little bit far-fetched um kind of like um uh, death sentence the filmmaker is corralling the character into a certain fate but here it i mean i the movie had me the whole way through uh it, the ending wasn't happy, but it was satisfying, and I didn't feel cheated, even right. though you can see the scaffolding a little bit. Um, it just worked better.
0: Yeah. There are certain things, just by the nature of the movie it is, I think, and because I've cynically just seen too many movies, I know not to trust the dame in these movies, right? You just yeah. know not to trust the dame in these movies. It's, it's not a sexist thing, it's just, it's just a fact. In these noir thrillers, the dames are almost always bad news. And yeah. uh, I don't think that that disappointed us here. Um, and again, it's another one of these characters who, yeah, he is flawed. And yeah, he does some bad things. But uh, it kind of stings a little bit because he doesn't deserve <laughs> what's going you know, to happen to him. No, get way out of hand.
1: It actually, it reminded me oddly, speaking of 90s throwbacks, to a little Ed Harris movie called China Moon. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is... I mean, it's, it's sort of similar. Ed Harris is a police officer trying to investigate this murder. But just through the whole thing, you know, we find it at the end that he's one step behind the whole time. And then his, he ends up with a very un, unhappy
0: yeah. fate. And this is one of the things about that kind of genre that I think is part of the appeal. It's not a foregone conclusion that our hero is going to come out of things okay. It's uh, <laughs> it's not a superhero picture, <laughs> mm-hmm. and the again the low low-fi aspect and the black and white aspect. I mean, I guess you could argue, sort of, feeds into this idea of nothing's black and white. Everything's gray <laughs> in this okay. world. Our main character is not a good guy, but he's not. A really bad guy <laughs> right? no i mean he's
1: he's a hack right he's, he says he's a writer but obviously he doesn't write very much yeah um and i mean he's basically just an unemployed guy um who i think just wants to call himself a writer so he does what he says it's for research in characters but right. i mean that's complete bullshit he's just got nothing to do or he's curious who knows
0: uh it definitely has some of the nolan calling cards right out the gate as far as the um central protagonist sort of being split uh, in his motivations or or mysterious in his motivations and the playing with time. We see scenes that happen later and earlier in the film, not necessarily in the order that they play out, just to give us more information at certain points to feed into the next scene. And
1: I think that that works really well. I mean, he he, he did Memento, right? That's right, yeah. So, he, I mean, Memento is way more of that. Um, and here, I was doing some reading afterwards. It was actually a budget thing. It was because he had bad audio on one of the scenes that he couldn't use it chronologically, so he cut it up a little bit. But I thought it worked really well to, you know, th- there's one scene where his eye is all punched up and bruised, and you don't know why that happened, and then it plays and loops back and whatever. Um, And it doesn't feel gimmicky. It doesn't feel cheap. Um, It sets the tone well, because you know bad things are going to happen. So, yeah, I think it it gives just the right amount.
0: I also like the way the villains are giving him as much truth as they are giving him false. Like, uh, the story that she tells about this gangster killing someone in front of her with a hammer, I'm sure actually happened. Well, it did, because that's what happens to her at the end. Exactly. But, uh, again when it comes down that way you sort of think oh you poor woman you poor woman." <clears throat> but she she's turned around to use this as a way to to blackmail a gangster and in order to get out of that mess she's been trying to you know fuck with this guy's life it is twisty it is it accomplishes a lot actually i think considering it's 74 minutes long and like i it's not one of those things where i felt like it needed to be 74 minutes long like if there was more to it i would i would have taken more but like i wasn't i didn't feel ripped off by it either
1: no, I think it was a really good length. Uh, again, it was interesting the whole time. Uh, it didn't seem like it was trying to be too clever for its audience, um, which is one of the things I think Nolan is guilty of. Uh, I, I actually haven't liked too many of his movies. I do still like Memento quite a bit. Uh, I didn't like Inception very much. I, you know, his later stuff, I think he's just gotten a little bit full of himself. Um, but Dunkirk he's, is he's strong. He's like a young, hungry director.
0: Yeah
1: with a lot of talent, um, telling a good story. Well,
0: yeah. I've always been of the opinion that he makes good movies. Like I thought Inception was good, but everyone said it was fantastic. I thought it was just good, <laughs> you know. The 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 Batman Begins trilogy, everyone thinks is the most amazing trilogy ever. I think it's entertaining, but like everyone needs to relax about The Dark Knight, man. <laughs> like sorry. Well, if he could get the same
1: editor for The Dark Knight that he got with for this. I it would be great. You know, <laughs> shave it down to a lean, you know, 85 minutes and it's fine. Yeah. Uh I, uh, but yeah, this I think was... I, I I think this is among... Well, it is among my favorite Nolan movies. Um, it was a really good surprise. I'd never heard of the movie. Um, I didn't know the director. I just thought it was some rando British movie that you threw on this list.
0: And I will say this about Nolan. like it's Sometimes I get a little bit uh, cynical about big budget directors. If you have $200 million and you can hire the best you know, director of photography, the best cast, the best special effects, you know, isn't a lot of the work being done for you. But no, if you can make the following for uh, uh, like less than 10 grand, <laughs> yeah, you were a good filmmaker before you got your Dunkirk budget, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I, I do think, yeah, I, I have a lot of respect for Christopher Nolan and I have a lot of respect for him right out of the gate here. So if yeah. you haven't seen the following, hey. it's so worth it. It's so short. It's a quick watch. Like, check it out for sure.
1: It's also got some good laughs, like when they were, because the guy that's showing him how to be a burglar, right, he, he does the this Sherlock Holmes thing of, you know, <clears throat> giving a profile uh, of the people that live in whatever um, apartment from the clues, and so our protagonist tricks them into thinking that they're breaking into his place and he's like okay smart guy tell me about this and it's just like this scathing like this pathetic loser maybe a student definitely poor he's got this typewriter it's this pretentious old typewriter that he doesn't use and uh you know our protagonist trying not to look mortally wounded by every correct observation
0: yeah i don't know what else i have to say about following i mean yeah, way to live up to your potential right out of the gate. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I respect that, you know, the confidence that the movie had. It really trusts its audience to be paying attention and be with the movie. And a lot of first time filmmakers are so busy trying to like, look at me, look at me, look at me, that they kind of forget the tone of the story sometime and uh, respect
1: I thought that it was a meet. I didn't know that I was gonna have to read. And then the casting director, who I know, doesn't even acknowledge me. She just walks right by without saying a word. And then she says they want to put me on tape. And I'm like, excuse me, but you need special makeup for that or you look green. And she says, well, you can either tape or not. Like it's all some pointless exercise and I just can't take it anymore, Jacob. I'm so tired and it's so pathetic.
0: Your mother, of course, was Clarice Taggart, the wonderful actress who died tragically in a fire. What is it like starring in a remake of a movie and essentially playing your mother? Scary. (laughs) Where'd you come in from? Jupiter. Now you had
1: tinsel time, what are you gonna do? This isn't a very glamorous job. I would be the most loyal, most competent, most grateful personal assistant you've ever had. I hired a girl. It's amazing.
0: Why is it amazing?
1: She was burned in a fire.
0: You gonna hurt me, Agatha? I think she may be back. I don't know if she's dangerous. It's part, it's reimagining.
1: It's a second chance.
0: I told you to stay away from us. I was afraid because of what you- So maps to the stars. Um, it's written by novelist Bruce Wagner, who was a friend of David Cronenberg, apparently. And for years they've been talking, you know, we got to do something together. We got to do something together. And apparently one day he just showed up in Cronenberg's office with the script and Cronenberg said, okay, I guess today's the day. (laughs) (laughs) Here's a tough one. What is Maps to the Stars about? I mean, I'm going to try and do a synopsis here. (laughs) It's a, I guess, a dark, bitter satire about Hollywood and the broken yeah. people that are there.
1: I think a satire would be the, the the right genre. Although it's not funny.
0: It's really not funny. Like, the, I, I've, I watched some of the special features on the disc. And they keep on talking about how this is a really savage, dark, and funny movie. And I have to say, I did not find it funny. I didn't find it funny at all. <laughs> um, I guess if there's a main character, it's Mia Wasikowska. I don't know how you say that. <laughs> uh, she has a troubled relationship with her parents (laughs) who are played by john cusack and olivia williams respectively uh and she also has taken a job as a personal assistant to this fading hollywood star played by julian moore who is just a monster she is just (laughs) awful like
1: she's awful but she's also so pathetic that it's hard to I, i didn't i didn't hate her She seemed like like her same character from Magnolia or
0: something when she'd been in Hollywood. I think she's much better in this movie than she is in Magnolia, frankly. I think this would be a tough part to play, actually, and and, and, and retain any humanity to that character at all. But she's this shallow, vapid, awful, judgmental bitch of a woman that you just want someone to pick up a Genie Award and bash in her head. Except for when that happens. (laughs) Except for when that happens, it's really fucking disturbing. (laughs) not to jump right to the third act but
1: see I had a different read of her like I didn't think she I thought she was awful but in the way that everybody in Hollywood is awful like she was desperate half the time and that was causing her to lash out um, because she's you know a former leading lady now in her early 50s so you know the scripts aren't coming her way she can't even get the part that was written for her where she plays in the you know the same role that her mother played when she was younger um and so she's terrible um she's she's aggressively terrible in some ways but i think passively terrible in others she's just her her world is booting her out of it
0: there's also weird decisions I think from the screenplay. Like if we had one character who would hallucinate characters from their past, I guess that would be something. We have two, maybe three. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult
1: to tell if they were supposed to be hallucinations or ghosts. Honestly, I I, I cuz when when John Cusack's wife is dying of being burning, yeah.
0: like
1: that reminded me of um what was that Tony Collette movie that just came out? Hereditary. Uh, Yeah, hereditary when when,
0: um, her husband just spontaneously combusted. I'm like, okay, I guess that's what this kind of movie is. But you see, again, that scene was so weirdly handled. To me, I thought she'd lit herself on fire. (laughs) Right? It was self-immolation. I mean, we'd been leading up to something with that character. She'd just been witnessing failure after failure in her own life. Right, But uh, yeah, she's her younger son is still trying to make it as a child actor in Hollywood, but he's you know as fucked as a Thanksgiving turkey. He's just completely out of his mind, and uh, the John Cusack character, who's probably the iciest and hardest to read of the
1: yeah, I'd say he's definitely the ugliest character in the movie.
0: Because he sees all the ugliness, and I don't know that he embraces it necessarily, but he doesn't seem bothered by it. He just is accepted it and, and is willing to play his role in it. He's this sort of charlatan-y, Dr. Phil-ish character, maybe.
1: Yeah, he's a, definitely a real leech, right? Because this movie, it's it's a satire of Hollywood, um, so I think he just kind of represents the kind of the person that writes coattails or you know makes a lot of money by not really contributing uh i'm not exactly a star fucker because he's the kind of like a guru that stars just give him a lot of money for
0: no reason that he does even when things are going south with his son he's thinking of ways he can spin it for talk shows and for you know exposure and and fame Uh, and he does it with this really sort of indifference like, like this is just how it is and he never questions it and yeah, we've got this, the themes of fires with the Vasikowska character has set a fire that burnt down their house at one point and uh, she's got burns on her faces and uh, of course her mother ends up suddenly, starting... and then there's an incest thing going on in the movie because we find out that <laughs> John Cusack and his wife are actually brother and sister and that Mia Vasikowska is this weird attraction or need to be married to her brother. Yeah, <laughs> and...
1: which is the climax of the movie them getting married yeah. well, performing a ceremony together.
0: Symbolically, whatever. But I kept on wondering, like, are these people bad because they're in Hollywood? Because I kinda got the impression that they would have been awful people no matter where they came from.
1: So uh, yeah, I thought it was it was really more of an allegory than a character movie. Like I don't think these maybe that's why I didn't mind Juliana Moore's character that much, because I didn't really think that they were real people. Like they were just they were just figures in this gross underbelly that is Hollywood, um and so like for example one of the things that i really liked about it um was actually quite prescient in some ways is that uh at one point Julianne moore had a line regarding harvey weinstein uh, (laughs) saying and harvey well he's just harvey uh which is something that gwyneth paltrow had said years earlier on the letterman show uh and then after 2016 um with the 2 movement, that clip started getting played a lot as like, you know, Hollywood knows what's going on and yeah. they're not talking about it. So I think this movie was like very deliberately talking about this shit about two years before everybody else was. So you gotta give it props for that. Yeah.
0: Uh, it was nice to see Carrie Fisher, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. In a, in a pretty good role. She was, she was what, the agent? Was she Julianne Moore's agent? I
0: think she was Carrie Fisher.
1: Oh yeah, that's right. She was giving advice to Julianne Moore, they had some relationship, though, because she was, she was saying something about it being uh, a real honor to play your own mother, or something like that, right. and of course, Carrie Fisher had relationships, issues with her own mom, Debbie yeah, Reynolds.
0: but she's Holly, she comes from Hollywood royalty as well, so you could see how, if the Julianne Moore character existed, she and Carrie Fisher would have some stuff in common. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was just one of those things I was, you know, it was, aww. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Carrie, we miss you, girl. And, uh, yeah, if you've ever read any of her essays, she has nothing really great to say about Hollywood. She's, like could fit into this sort of aesthetic, like a glove, I think. <laughs> they did a movie, actually, based on Carrie Fisher's writing called Postcards from the Edge with Meryl Streep. and yeah, wasn't
1: it like a Woody Allen? No, no, I'm thinking Hannah and Her Sisters. Right, right I knew about it. But, I, I never watched
0: it. I, I kind of feel like uh, That's the Funny version. Of Maps to the Stars, whereas that movie was generally trying to be light and funny and take a few shots at Hollywood. Whereas Maps to the Stars is, there's nothing light about it at all. There's, like, again, I, I have problems with unlikable characters. I I guess I'll admit it. But, like, I was trying to find anybody, anybody <laughs> who approached being a human. Carrie Fisher, I think, is as close as we've come.
1: Yeah, there's nobody to latch on to. You think Robert Pattinson for a little while... But, but he's just like everybody else.
0: He just, he was a star fucker. He he, he he wants to be part of the system and he will do anything he can to, to do that. And that's the world that everybody seems to be living in. And everyone is very harshly judged for. But I guess, again, I guess I said before, would these people have been awful if they grew up in Saskatchewan?
1: Yeah, well, I, I mean, my answer to that is I think they could only exist in this fairy tale, this dark horror fairy tale that is Hollywood.
0: <laughs> they can bloom to their full potential awfulness because they have been planted in, in Hollywood. Yeah. I, in the end, it's, it's a little bit of a mixed bag for me because I like Cronenberg. I think that there's some really good acting in it, but the movie is intensely unpleasant. Am I wrong?
1: <laughs> no, you know, you're not. I'm actually going to change tones a little bit. Cause I've been saying good things about it. Cause this is one that I'm really on the line with. <laughs> so, there have been there are a lot of interesting things in it uh, again well directed well shot well acted um never boring but it also feels dated to me it feels like a worse version of robert altman's the player that's what i kept thinking through right. it like this this kind of satire of hollywood has been done um except for the harvey well he's harvey thing there's nothing that this movie... There's no comment that this movie makes that hasn't wasn't made with the player. And there were a bunch of those movies around that time. There's that TV show with Jay Moore, which I can't remember. But this is, like, the same as that. So it it seemed like, yeah, 20 years behind its time.
0: But it's like we've had this conversation again and again today. Like... Uh, the resident was a very familiar movie but they you know they didn't do enough with it to to elevate it same thing with death sentence whereas don't breathe you know home invasion thriller elevated to as uh, as good a home invasion thriller as i've seen i think maybe considering the cast and considering the director that maps to the stars should be better than it is but that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad i think it's like lesser Cronenberg and it certainly doesn't have the ick factor that some of like his other stuff like Crash and M. Butterfly have where it's just like protracted and uncomfortable just because that's what I think Cronenberg finds interesting I think this has got stuff to say but like you said it's like yeah Hollywood's full of shallow people thank you (laughs) brilliant
1: Yeah, I didn't know when you were just saying in your lead-up about how this got made, uh, it it made a lot of things make sense. This didn't feel like a passion project. Um, it felt like
0: the next the, project.
1: Yeah, I couldn't really tell why. Like, it didn't feel Cronenbergery. burgery. didn't feel Cronenbergy to me.
0: <laughs> Not enough um, kink. But,
1: <laughs> so yeah, as far as would I recommend this one? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I can't really think of who would like it a lot because I think people that are really into film and films about Hollywood, this might feel like a bit of an old glove. Um, but to, you know, casual movie watchers, this would be a very unpleasant, shocking thing to watch.
0: I think it's for Cronenberg completists and, uh, again... It's sold as a satire. I didn't laugh very much, or at all, I don't think, while I watched it. But you're right in that I wasn't bored while I was watching it either. I I think it it does kind of fit in the feel of a Cronenberg movie, but again, it's certainly not the history of violence. It's certainly not, you know, Dead Ringers. It's certainly not his greatest hits or anywhere close to it. But I guess like any Cronenberg movie, it is interesting, and it has that cold, detached cronenberg that if that's your jam here it is again (laughs) yeah good enough? yes (laughs) I like coming here every day I know look I don't know you very few guys know me you're in a position very few guys ever get in you have choices look I don't know if I can do this you made a mistake and you gotta make things right There's a man going round taking names, and he decides who to free and who to blame. You ever killed anyone? They cry, they plead, they call for their mothers. And the man comes around. I like to kill him softly, from a distance. You come up here to do something, remember? I don't take orders from you. Get out of the car now. I didn't do nothing. Know what you gotta do, right? You know, this is a business of relationships. Don't make me less. When the man comes around. I'm living in America. And in America, you're on your own. So one of the many things that I like about having a podcast like this is that I get to revisit stuff. Sometimes I do believe you, you see the wrong movie on the wrong day. <laughs> and uh it it poisons it for you the experience is either way better than it should have been or way worse than it should have been and i think i was a little bit cynical the first time i watched killing them softly because i remember walking away from it thinking eh (laughs) that was that was kind of how i felt Like, like there's some really good acting there's some really good sequences it's like it's another one of these you know noir gangster pieces brad pitt's a hitman who's come to deal with a robbery which has taken place where a bunch of gangsters have been knocked over while they're playing their poker game and this is totally fucked this sort of <laughs> system of uh, rules and checks and balances that they have like everything is screwed up because of this and um there's a very unsubtle sort of capitalistic allegory happening here in the way that these guys do business and uh, the way that you know this guy's not hasn't done anything wrong but an example has to be made and You know, just the embracing of this sort of capitalistic, crooked mentality. And it felt all kind of arty and on the nose. And one of these things that I've talked about before in the past about movies that, quote, feel real, but have no reality to them. Mm -hmm. And then I watched it again. And I really fucking liked it. (laughs) Here's the thing. Um, Yes, everything that I said is true. It's stagey. It's not really set in the real world. It's uh, got like this artifice to it that like, the first time through it was just, uh, I I just had to appreciate the performances and I didn't really think too deeply beyond it. Watching it again this time, I thought, this is honest in a way, sort of like the way Maps of the Star were, in that there's nobody here who is good. (laughs) There's nobody here who's good, and there's nobody here who is glamorized, and there's nobody here who, like, we can walk away from thinking, you know, is a role model. It's not real, but it's real in that all of these guys are essentially flawed, broken people, and yeah. uh, and that is reflected, and they're using that as a way – this came out right during the f- big financial Souring that happened in the United States that the
1: uh, well no so it came out a couple of years later right. It's set in the it's set in right between the two thousand and eight financial crisis and the subsequent bailout. Election yeah. Uh, and so like when you were saying you know it was a little bit on the nose. Uh, so I'm gonna mostly like this movie. Okay. But it's been brought up. The on the nose was so on the nose. Um like. I I mean, reminiscent of death sentence, you know, like with, you know, they referred to after the first robbery uh, as a total economic collapse because this one thing had happened. um, So the first robbery, like the one that doesn't happen on screen, I think that that's uh, analogous with um, um, the Enron I think that that's in reference to that and then the second one is like a worse version of a bigger financial collapse that had happened before um, and it's all about perception right which is why they have to kill poor Ray Liotta, as well as the people that they know did it when they know Ray Liotta didn't do it um, because it's all about the perception and exactly. this is quite clearly the stock market the gangsters at the table gambling with other people's money uh, which is something that is Uh, a point that's made in it. Like, they're obviously the Wall Street bankers. And I think it would have been, that might have been already too much, but after every important scene, then they have a, uh, they cut to somewhere on the TV, Bush is making a speech from, about the financial bailout. And you're like, okay, this is, like, the characters are engaging, the story's engaging, it's tense, and then it feels like there's these far too frequent moments of hand-holding.
0: Yeah. And I I don't disagree with you, but I do really end up liking the movie quite a bit when I'm into, I watch it. You talk about Ray Liotta, who, you know, has made a career out of playing badasses, except for his two cameos in those two Muppet movies, and bless his heart for those. But... uh <laughs> Typically, Ray Liotta plays the heavy. I reviewed this movie, The Iceman, where he's just this despicable fucking gangster. And he can really... Uh, I, I've always thought that Ray Liotta was a really strong actor and underrated talent. And uh, I really liked this scene where he was getting beaten in this movie. Because yeah, it so visceral. I, like and. you just those punches and, and the way like he squeaking. was squealing and like like begging and 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 there's something pathetic about the way he was even taking it right we're not used to seeing that from ray Liotta, and i've seen him play so many bad guys it was really kind of nice to actually feel for him like i i didn't want that character to go and that was by design right and well done I, I i always loved richard jenkins and i do think that brad pitt does some good work here one of the things i'm confused about is what the James Gandolfini character contributes to the proceedings. Yeah,
1: so I mean, I think this movie is more its more thematic than character. It's even more thematic uh, than plot. And we can come back to Richard, Richard Jenkins, because he's fucking amazing. You know? I know. But James <laughs> Gandolfini had the second best.
0: Oh, you're freezing. I'm going to pause for a second. Go. Uh,
1: so I think, yeah, James Gandolfini was... Easily the second best performance in this, and I, I, he wasn't important at all to the plot. He could have been written out, but as an allegory for the two thousand eight collapse, he was the kind of middleman corporate person who had, you know, fallen on desperate times. He'd lost most of his work because of it. So you know, they bring him um, to New Orleans. It's set in New Orleans, right? Mm-hmm. They bring him to New Orleans for this one job that they're kind of. Uh, are they lowballing him on it?
0: A little bit. And uh, he seems like his heart's not in it at all. <laughs>
1: no, for sure. All he does is uh, have really upsetting sex with prostitutes uh. and drink too much in ways that aren't cool.
0: How about the treatment of women in this movie? <laughs> like, there's maybe three speaking carrot rules for women. They have like one line Can you zip me up? No, <laughs> like they just treated like not even set decoration, <laughs> like brutal. Yeah. Um, so the Brad Pitt character, he's a hitman, but thus to the counterintuitively, you know, killing them softly title, right? It's like the the cheesiest sweetheart song to be describing this really ugly movie. I think it's kind of interesting, like, for such a hard-ass hitman, like, he's, he likes to keep his distance. He doesn't like to see them suffer. He'd prefer to just take them off the board without any kind... They don't know... They don't see it coming. And well, his, no,
1: okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to correct you a little bit. It's not that he doesn't like to see them suffer. He just doesn't like when they beg him for his life. Like right. just... He just feels gross about it. It's just easier for him if he, if he does it without them knowing about it.
0: But I again, I missed it on the first pass, but to me I was just sort of like how he justifies it. And he kills people for a living, but he does it in a nice way. they don't see it coming therefore it's not that bad and again you throw that back onto the the, this you know late stage capitalism which the movie's commenting on yeah they people do terrible things and they can justify it to themselves very easily and he literally kills people and what i really liked and again the first time i watched the movie the ending left me cold was at at the end of the day you know it's just a job for him the the, the point of his character is fuck you pay me to go back to The Goodfellas, right? And when I watched it the first time, I, I felt a little cold about it. And this time, I thought it was really strong.
1: I So I was I had almost the exact same um, um, experience watching it as you did. Uh, I liked it a lot more the second time. Um, so I got, I've gotten all my griping out of the way. I thought it was a little <laughs> heavy-handed. But mostly, I thought it was a terrific movie. Um I think the preview had it like it was going to be a cool action movie, right? And it decidedly isn't. It's a it's a very patient movie with um, some some um, fighting in it, which is very visceral. Um, some killing, which doesn't leave you feeling good, uh, and the poker game robbery, which is super tense. Yeah, like the, the pacing in this movie is just so patient. Uh, you just. You just know something is going to happen one way or the other. Um, You know, there's just any number of things that can go wrong, and then it ends up like with the the robbery scene. Well, I don't know if I want to spoil it. (laughs) I mean, it's it's a tense part of the movie. So if anybody hasn't seen it and decides to watch it, I I think that was the highlight.
0: But you bring up a good point. Like, uh, if you watch the trailer, you might think of this as an action movie, and this is a conversation movie. The conversations get interrupted with violence a few times throughout the movie. Also very efficient. It's 96 minutes. It, it doesn't yeah. overstay its welcome. I think if this had been a ponderous two and a an half hour meditation on things, you know, uh, it might have worn me out. I mean, yeah. there have been other movies that have uh, approached the violence on a sort of counterintuitively beautiful aspect right super slow motion the glass shattering slowly and like the softer music counterintuitive to what you typically see i think there was a time where that was kind of edgy but i have seen it before it's well done here but it's it's not new necessarily
1: yeah well uh okay this is another complaint but it's a very small one um but hollywood if you're listening it's time to retire johnny cash's when the man comes around when you're going to be introducing either violence or god help you a hitman
0: yeah it's it's been done it's been done well we don't need to see it again yeah Um, Uh, but that's a small complaint um to the pacing um this is the same director who did the that Jesse James the assassination, assassination of, of Jesse James, James, yeah. And I thought
1: this was a much better movie. Actually, I mean, maybe I would have the same thing if I went back to the Jesse James. Uh, I might like it a lot more, um, but I found I found that one ponderous, where this one merely took its time with with interesting material. Yeah.
0: Uh, you were talking about Richard Jenkins, and well, I was talking about Ray Liotta. Jenkins <laughs> feeding all fantastic actors, like Brad Pitt is the movie star of this production, but I do think he's really solid in it. Like, yeah. uh, I, I, there's nothing sort of. Uh, Macho and, and gruff about him. He usually sort of in, in, in infuses this "I'm a guy's guy" kind of thing into all of his performance. This guy is much. He's got a much sort of slower internal life, and uh, he he's thoughtful. And I sometimes think maybe not quite the badass that he portrays himself to. Like it is a job to him.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean he doesn't do anything badass. Um, he doesn't beat or torture. In fact, he tries to convince the. Um, corporate money manager guy who is his fixer or whatever like don't don't bother beating this guy up you just know you're going to kill him later so yeah. why would you put him through a beating um, you know he's, he's like he's very human um, not too cool but he's also after seeing James Gandolfini, it's nice to see somebody in this world that's a little bit in control of themselves because everybody is so pathetic. Yeah. Like, Brad Pitt is the only character that isn't pathetic, which kind of makes him look cool, but it's just because the bar is really low.
0: And, like, Richard Jenkins is this, like, penny-pinching middleman, right? Well, it's like, I need you to kill this guy, but I need you to do it as cheaply as you possibly can. Yeah, but well, he's got to get
1: everything approved, Yeah. Right? He's got to get like for, what was it? The thousand bucks they were gonna do. It was gonna. They're gonna do something to get uh, James Gandolfini arrested for violating his parole. He's like, yeah, I just need to get (laughs) need to get permission for this thousand dollar expenditure.
0: And again, I don't necessarily believe that as a real reflection as to how organized crime is working right now. But to use it. not you know, obviously not but to comment on the financial disaster that was going on in the time yes I, I i think this will be a movie that is very of its time and i think without that context it might it might lose something but uh i, I don't know like
1: i don't know i could see this getting kind of cult status as one of those movies that was really underappreciated when it came out you know it was wasn't a box office bomb but it was nobody's favorite movie of the year i i thought I mean, I guess it's only been a few years since I've seen it, but I thought it aged quite well. Um, who's that Australian guy from the the Marvel movies?
0: Ben Mendelsohn.
1: Uh, yeah, Ben Mendelsohn. His performance is so disgusting, but believably disgusting. I mean, both of those robbers,
0: but and ben he gets deported. Like. He doesn't. He's the one who gets away with it, really, right? Well,
1: I mean, he gets. He's a junkie, and he gets arrested with a pound of heroin. Right. On him. I don't think
0: right. Uh, and Scoot McNary, who's the other guy who's forced to give up his buddy and watch him be executed. I thought he gave a really good performance, too. And considering, again, he's working with all of these heavyweights around him, he you know, he didn't get washed out at all. Mm-hmm. It's a very solid movie, and I think, again, it might have been the wrong day, or it could even be like what you said. I was expecting to watch an action movie the first time I watched it, and it just isn't that.
1: Yeah, if so, you watch the trailer, it looks like a Tarantino movie.
0: Yeah, um, so... And,
1: and, It also doesn't try, like, I thought it might be a a witty crime movie, um, but there's nothing witty in it. Um, It's clever, and the dialogue is very good, but it's more, like, the lack of wittiness, because there's no cool criminals in it.
0: None of them are cool. In fact, most of them are the opposite of cool, and they still manage to make the movie, you know, engaging in spite of that. But, like, yeah, Yeah. there's nothing, there's no glamour to any of these characters at all. So, well done.
1: yeah yeah um good enough i would say if you haven't seen it
0: because there's a good chance you missed it yeah it was in
1: theaters for 15 minutes or if you did see it and didn't like it it's, watch it again
0: again like, like that's happened a few times now with me doing reviews for the podcast Or it's like oh this movie and then i watch it again and i just see another angle um know what you're getting into but definitely check out killing them softly all the way from the other side of the world is currently talking to me from my future <laughs> well, I gotta get some lottery numbers off here. <laughs> some something really interesting is gonna happen within the next 14 hours <laughs> just wait and see, try
1: to stock up on some water
0: thank you so much for all of this and sorry about some of the technical difficulties we've been having but I think it's been worth the fight, Damn it. Man, yeah, you're the one that's gonna have to edit it out. Yeah, so. I'll have to deal with all that. That's my cross to bear. We're um, on
1: vacation right now, because this is gonna get played even further in the future. Yeah. Right now we're on hiatus from your rank and review, so you got lots of time.
0: Yeah, it might be November or even December before this one hits out. Just just be prepared for that. Sorry, dude. <laughs> no, that's okay. um, Matthew Risling, what was your least favorite of these urban horror films and why?
1: Um, well, I think this might be a little controversial, um, but I'm going to put at the bottom the resident because there's nothing good about it and everything about it is bad.
0: (laughs) And that's controversial.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's just, you know, there was no seventh position to put it in, which is really what it (laughs) deserves. Um, the next one, uh, I was sure it was the first one that I watched. I was sure it was going to be in last place, but it clawed its way up to second last when I watched The Resident. Um, Death Sentence. Uh, It has its moments. Um, It has its moments. There are not very many of them, and they all uh, have to do with cinematography, basically. Um, You know, do do some interesting things with sets. Um, James Wan is good um, with the city textures, so, you know, that's good. Not much else good about it. Yeah. Uh, In third place, Maps to the Stars.
0: Or fourth place, you mean?
1: Fourth place. Resident Death Sentence Maps to the Stars. Yeah. Um, um, Maps to the Stars, I think, wants to be more important or clever than it is. It's competently made, competently directed, and well-acted. I think all of the performances are good. Uh, One thing we didn't say is the little kid um, who plays like the Justin Bieber type, he actually gives a solid performance. David Cronenberg gets a good performance out of even his young actors, which is good. The next two are the two that could go either way, depending. Um, I'm going to put uh, Following next, the reason that I'm gonna put following is it's very good. Um, the plot, like I said, it's a, I don't think too much of it, plot, um, and it's one that corrals the um, characters a little bit more than I'd like. But if you watch this movie, um, it, it just you can just tell that it's a really good director. That when he gets some money, he's gonna make he's gonna make a name for himself, kid.
0: It's gonna work yeah. out for that Nolan kid. Yeah, see. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's definitely. Um, I think. Yeah. It. I've said enough.
0: Okay. Um,
1: next, killing them softly. Which, it, when I took this list, I thought it would be kind of towards the bottom. I was sure it wouldn't be the worst, but I didn't think I would rank it this high. Um, but it went from. I went from thinking that it was dull to interesting, patient. Um, it took its time with its shots and. There's, there's not really a payoff Payoff. it's not like Digstown where you want to stand up and applaud when it's over it tells the story that it wants to tell and it's quite it feels right for what it is um, but is just not as engaging as Don't Breathe, um, which was a real surprise for me. Um, it reminded me you're gonna hate this. Uh, it reminded me a little of People Under the Stairs, which <laughs> I know you don't like that movie. I like the villains
0: uh, I like in, in that movie. Under
1: the stairs quite a lot when I was a teenager. I haven't seen it since. Um, <laughs> but this was like taking the premise but making it into a legitimately, uncontroversially good movie. Um, yeah. So that's my list.
0: So where do you think we would split on this? If you were to killing guess, softly and following, because uh, following could either be the second best or like or the third best for me. Um, I think the "Don't Breathe" was comfortably at, at number one, but yeah. the top three. See, I thought we were gonna switch, killing them softly and the following, but we didn't. We matched, and you just became the champion again. Yay! Hey, <laughs> you just made Lee Beckman cry. Lee. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I am going to go through the list anyway, as is my right as the host of Rank and Review, but congratulations. We have a new champion. <laughs> it also, by the way, not to toot my own horn, but it puts me in
1: rarefied company of two six-for-sixes and one zero-for-six, I
0: believe.
1: <laughs> I one other guest that's accomplished that.
0: Yeah, you're tied with K2, I think. Yeah. That's uh, exciting. This this episode is dedicated to Karen Giese, yet again. <laughs> I got to get her back on. I have to bully her into being on the show sometimes. But, uh, we all love Karen on Rank and Review. Um, yeah, The Resident was easily the worst of these movies. It's one of those movies where, like, even though I hadn't seen it before, it really felt like I'd seen it before. It's like I'd seen it before and I didn't like it, and then I forgot about it, and then I was watching it again. Only none of that was true. It was my first pass, and it just was not there for me. I I think that the cast is fine but that's it. The, the script is just dead on arrival. And yes, surprise surprise, in fifth position we have Death Sentence. And I almost feel like congratulating the resident for out-sucking it on a screenplay <laughs> <That's> level <true. laughs> because on a screenplay play level, I think it's pretty much awful. On an acting and execution level, it's like significantly better than it the script deserves but not so good as to rescue it from being a bad movie at the end of things props to kevin bacon props to james wan but i can't recommend death sentence sorry yeah in fourth place and i thought maybe well i didn't know what you were going to make of maps to the stars but i thought if there was one that was going to gum up the works it could be maps of the stars um it's interesting how i would like it more or less than you I I thought there was a possibility you'd react toxically to it. It could even go to the bottom of the list for you. Um, yeah. May I? I don't mean to. It's not a judgment on your character or anything like that. I just found the movie like shockingly ugly. And I mean that's what it means to be. But you would be prepared for that. There is some memorable, hard to shake stuff in it, but it's yeah. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. It's it's certainly not for everyone. <laughs> Following is a movie that's so full of potential and and so rock solid in its premise, like and it's one of those things where the low budget doesn't hold it back at all. In fact, it was like the right story to tell with this budget. Which is, I think, maybe a lot of mistake that the first time filmmakers make is just bite off more than they can chew. You know? yeah. If you don't have the budget to make this you know, science fiction epic, then maybe do this following thing where it's just about people walking and talking. But the narrative will keep you held in thrall, which it does. Third place. That was the closest we came to switching because I was waffling a little bit on the following and, and killing them softly. But because I, it improved so much for me on second viewing and I saw a lot more in it. And again, uh, even actors that I like and know, but doing different things, Ray Liotta is not a tough guy in this movie. And I kind of liked seeing that, you know, always like seeing Richard Jenkins. Um, yeah. It is a conversation gangster movie. It's not a, you know, wall-to-wall shootout type of picture. But it's got a brain and it's got a heart, and uh, it made it to second place holy shit don't breathe (laughs) like (laughs) well honestly especially seeing it in the theaters i was really really tense while i watched that movie and i wasn't i was expecting to like it like uh, i'd had some hope because this guy directed the the remake to evil dead that it would be you know very competent which it is but it's really intense and scary and like bravo Bravo, the technical filmmaking in it is amazing, but uh, it doesn't give way in, you know, it uses that to enhance the tension, not to distract from it. And there's some pretty splashy shots of the camera flying through the floors and zooming through the house and all over the place. And a lot of times you can just sort of get distracted and go, wow. But the whole time you're looking in every shadow, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Yeah. It's an awesome horror movie. And if you haven't seen it, I encourage you to check it out. Matthew agrees. We've just matched six for six. Yeah. Yay. <laughs>
1: well, one of the other things um, I was curious about.
0: Oh, you're frozen again. Say it again. Sorry, did I cut? You just uh, cut out for a thing. second. I was
1: curious about with don't breathe is how well does it age? Mm-hmm. Right. Cause you, this is your second viewing and you still like it. Oh yeah. Um, uh, I thought I was a little thinking it might be like my experience with the conjuring where it would go from like one of my favorite ghost stories to, I couldn't believe that I liked it once the, <laughs> the jumps are out of the way. Right. Um, but yeah, it's good. I'm glad that it's aged. Well,
0: I mean by like anything, have you seen it before? You know where it's going, the twists and stuff like that. The jumps are coming. I mean, it'll, it might not have the same punch upon second and third viewing, but, the acting's going to stay there. Stephen Lang is going to remain terrifying, and uh, it's just one of the, it exceeds its premise in the way that none of the other films that we talked about did. I think. Like I heard, yeah, they're going to try and it's a home invasion thriller about these people trying to rob a, a rich blind man, and that's an interesting premise. But it, it's so much better than you'd imagine it being. So yeah,
1: totally.
0: We got there, brother. We did it. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> It might take me a while to get a prize to you, since you've moved yourself to the other side of the world. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But the prize should be your your gloating rights.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, history has taught me nothing else. It's that I can remain champion for a week or two, and then Paxton will be on the show and knock
0: me off. Well, we'll they see. Be- they do seem to cluster strangely, but uh, maybe you're starting off something here. <laughs> but uh, congratulations. <laughs>
1: You you had you had one where it was like three winners in a row or something. Right?
0: Well, yeah, we did. The I think it was Brock won for the X Files or sorry the X Men, and then the next episode, uh, Eric and Ashley won for Rocky. And then two episodes later, Lee won for the shark episode. And then, you know, nothing has happened since then. That was like a year ago or something like that. But Lee will be bummed. (laughs) Make no mistake. He's coming into town for his birthday this weekend. And he is going to ask because he he, he doesn't want to find out when he listens to it. He needs to know ahead of time. (laughs)
1: He's on a lot. He he can bump me off at some point.
0: I'll let him down gently. That's what I tell other people when they're saying, like, uh, I want to be champion. I want to be champion. Well, uh, a good step into being champion is is doing episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Lee would do every episode if I let him. (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations. Um,
1: So uh, the reason that I was doing this uh, when I was in uh, Taiwan is because the China internet is just way too spotty. Right. Uh, But around christmas i'm gonna be in thailand so i'll have good episode or good internet again so we'd probably do something then
0: let's plan for that brother there will be more matt risling in the future. Matthew is champion once again, and I'm sure uh, our Mr. Beckman is going to be not super stoked about that, but he'll be motivated to try and take her back again. So, uh, we finally got another another winner this week on ranking Review, and that's good news for all. But did we get it right? Let us know by writing me at Review at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Uh, give your opinion or make suggestions for the show or episodes that you think we should do anything on your mind that's where you go to share it you can see the website at rankingreview.ca because i'm canadian and that's where my show is from. and i hope you continue to listen to rankin review anytime you like it on itunes or any of the uh podcasting servers that we have out there that helps me anytime you tell a friend about the show that helps me And just by listening to the show, I consider you a friend. So keep doing it. I drop every other Wednesday.